You are listening to the Calvard Catechism Podcast, where we seek to defend doctrine, dispel deception, and develop disciples. We hope you enjoy today's episode. On today's episode, we dive into Jehovah's Witness. This is a two-part episode, so here in part one, we are going to primarily engage with the history of this religion and what got them to this point, their founder, things of that nature, and then in part two, we will dive into primarily their doctrine. So let's jump into part one. Welcome to episode number 15 of the Calford Catechism. I almost just said, hold fast, by the way. Um, because, oh, wow. Because of... Messing other, around with a mistress, huh? The, the other podcasts that I do. Um, so, welcome back. Uh, I know that we've had a few weeks off here. Uh, not intentional. Life just gets really crazy. Hoping to get some consistency here soon. But, my name is Kenny. I'm here with my co-host. Let's say my name. You're going to do that every time, and every time I'm going to refuse. <laughs> My name's Travis Lee Bennett. Wow. Yeah, that was how, professional. How hard was right? that for you? I thought that was professional. Mm. Every single time I say Travi B, my wife... Um, I'm sure she does. I don't know. That's because your wife is a logical human being. Yeah, I just think she hates me, but... <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, it's early. We're getting into it already. Um, so here's my question for the day, and I have to be honest with everybody out there listening. I just Googled <laughs> good questions right before we started this. I literally I put in Google good questions, and this question popped up. I thought it was interesting. I feel like Travis might have a weird answer for this. So um, what is the strangest thing in your refrigerator right now? In my refrigerator? Yeah. Well, what is the strangest thing in my refrigerator? Uh, so, you know, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. So, you know, um, like flour tortilla wraps, you mm-hmm, know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So they make those out of cheese. Mm-hmm. So I would say... I've seen those. Because right now the refrigerator, we literally, is pretty boring. We just have a bunch of... It's exciting for me. We just have a bunch of meat. Like um. sirloin steaks and salmon and some ribeyes. Wow. But I would say the weirdest thing would be a tortilla wrap made out of cheese. I've seen those. I'm yeah, not, I mean, I'm if, you, try them if you're going low carb, it's uh, they're yummy. You put some eggs in them. Yep, they're yummy. I don't know that I have an answer to my own question. I just thought I I thought Travis might have a weirder answer than he had. Um, well, nor, yeah, normally I would. Uh, you, you don't have any. What is the weirdest thing you've ever had in your refrigerator that comes to mind? Uh, <laughs> probably kidneys. Okay, kidneys or beef heart. Kidneys or beef heart. Because liver is not really too uncommon, but beef heart and kidneys are kind of, that's kind of screwed. I won't eat tongue, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like tongue and brain start to flip me out Apparently a little he bit. draws a line somewhere. Everybody um, does. Every right, I don't have an answer line. to that question, but that's all I you got You don't have today. any bohemian stuff? No, I can't think of anything that would be really strange. Sorry, uh, brother, but all those things are strange. <laughs> no. <laughs> when you start- I mean, maybe the strangest thing for some people would be conk. <laughs> see, see, just when homeboy drops the word conk. <laughs> It's not, by the way, it's not, it's not conch, it's conch. Yeah, it's a conch shell. Conch. Conch. Yeah, you just said conch too. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. No, right. I didn't. I said conch We have, we have an audio recording to prove it. But I we'll said go conch shell. We'll go back and listen to it. All right, we're going to jump in today uh, to, not waste, my name, to not waste too much of your time. <laughs> today, we're going to be talking about the Watchtower, Jehovah's Witnesses. Watchtower. Any other names? Jehovah's Witnesses. 
I said that one. Watch, <laughs> slash, slash <laughs> Watchtower Society. JW. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, Kingdom Hall is what you will often see in their churches, the Kingdom Hall of Jehovah's Witnesses. Why do they call it that? Maybe I was hoping you were going to tell me today. Actually, oh. <laughs> that was not a, that was not a part of my research. Um, Everybody, please ignore that question. Yeah. <laughs> or do no, please look that up, and will you email us? Write us in. So, um, what we've been doing in the season—that's maybe a good lead-in. Uh, we've been talking about uh, these cults slash false religions. Um, these maybe a, a better way to say it is the definition of a cult that we've used is from Walt Martin, which is talking about a group of people or an individual who um, who twists the scriptures. Ultimately, they take the truth of God's word of Christianity and they twist it to make their own religion. And so, last week we kicked it off with Mormonism. And today we're going to be talking about, well, I said last week, but really it was like two weeks ago. And today we're going to talk about Jehovah's Witness. So the format is we're going to talk a little bit about their history, and then we're going to go into some of, not all, of their core major doctrines. And you asked the question, why do they call it Kingdom Hall? That may be an important question, but at the same time, that's not a that's not a core doctrine. That's not something that's no. central to, um, I don't believe, their faith. And so um, we want to focus in on the things that are most important, that are central, because that's a part of what we want to say in this series too, is don't just... Don't get caught in the weeds when you're when you're thinking about and talking about all these religions. Don't get caught in the uh, the red herrings of their religion. These things that are just meant to distract from the main issue. Yeah. Let's focus in on what do they believe about Jesus and the gospel and who God is, the Trinity, those things. So that's what we're gonna do. So we'll start off with history, and uh, Travis is going to kind of be the one that drives a lot of the content today. Um, and I want to come alongside and provide some some commentary, some questions, some thoughts. Um, but that's gonna be kind of how we structure this today so so history uh jehovah's witnesses pretty interesting actually uh before doing a deep dive into the history i didn't really know much about their history i just knew about some of their core doctrinal beliefs but it's always fascinating and let me tell you it's if you want to know more about a specific cult find out where they started Mm. like Typically, all these people are deriving their beliefs from some sort of origin. Yeah. And that origin has its own core doctrines of beliefs, and they always extract them from that, and they typically modify it a little bit, and it's still that original beast. Mm -hmm. It's just dressed differently. So Jehovah's Witnesses, they find their origins in, uh, in in an extinct cult dating back to the mid-1800s, called the Millerites, okay? Um, it's like Miller Lite, Miller you know Lite, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. It's like a beer, but it's not. So the Miller Lights, the Miller Lights, I said it wow. again. The Millerites uh, was started by a guy named William uh, Miller, and basically he was a second-day Adventist. And all that means is that they their, their sole focus was on when Christ would come back. Their entire doctrine, Second Day Adventists, all their focus is uh, put on when Christ is going to come back during a second coming, and they would calculate dates trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. So the Millerites, they had on October twenty second, eighteen forty four, that was their date. Yo, that's when Christ was coming back, and so we missed it. We dog, we so missed wow. it. We missed it by a minute. 
Um, so what happened was it didn't happen. So, so in history, so I'm talking like a large group of people really believe that that date was going to be when Christ came back. Mm-hmm. So if you like Google uh, the Great Disappointment, I love that. That's the name of the date. Like history knows this date as the Great Disappointment because, yo, they were pretty disappointed. So the Millerites, they adopted a slew of heretical views like they rejected the Trinity, they rejected the deity of Christ, and they had a very large emphasis on uh, works-based salvation. They thought that you actually had to do good things in order to get into heaven. Well, after the Great Disappointment, the Millerites really disbanded, they fell apart, and a bunch of random strands kept the ideas alive, but the actual group was now gone, right? So then enter a guy named Charles Russell, okay? Now, this is an important name, so if you're paying attention, please lock that in. Charles Russell, uh, as a kid, he grew up as a Christian, but then at 17 years old, he rejected the whole thing. He became more of an agnostic and was like, yeah, there's a God, but I don't really think it's the whole Christian thing, was done with the whole ordeal. Uh, But he met... uh, a very popular at the time, we're still talking about the 1800s here, he met uh, a second day, not second day, a second Adventist again, Mm -hmm. Uh, a a guy who was one of the strands of the Millerites. He he was an itinerant preacher. He walked around spreading his ideas. He met him. He met Charles uh, as a kid and convinced him and persuaded him that, hey, Christianity is the right way of thinking. You have just always thought about it wrong. So at 18, he became a uh, essentially a second Adventist, but also a little bit of a Millerite, also a little bit of a Christian. He didn't really have any idea, but he came back into the faith and he started a Bible group. And... I really put emphasis on that because the Bible students became the name of his Bible group, Mm -hmm. and the Bible students is still a religion today, Mm. okay? So the Bible students is actually a legit name for a sect, essentially, of Jehovah's Witnesses, which have since separated from modern-day Jehovah's Witnesses. Right. So he uh, became—he started a Bible group, and it was called the Bible Students— And at the age of 23, he was elected pastor of that group. And his big thing was that, yeah, the, um, we've talked about this before. You can, I would love to hear your thoughts on this, that, um, the Bible is absolutely true, but you don't understand it, yo. You don't understand. This is Charles, Charles Russell's, his, his argument was the Bible is absolutely true, but you don't understand it. You need my interpretation. Yeah in order to correctly understand it. So yeah. that's what he purported. What What are your thoughts on that? Well, there's two thoughts on what you've been saying so far. Uh, number one, I, I want to focus in on the fact that the cults, when we're talking about cults, remember these are uh, religions that twist the scriptures and twist Christianity. Their biggest play is almost always, oh, you're disgruntled with Christianity and the Christian faith? That's because you've just never heard the pure version of it, right? right? So you get all these people who have, 
you know, walked away from Christianity, been hurt by the church, whatever it may be, and there's this this wound there and this separation there that they play on and they go, well, the problem is you just never heard the pure version of it. And and that immediately appeals to somebody because they go, man, I always thought there was something right, but I felt like it was missing something and this must be the missing piece. The second thought is that's absolutely true that um, it, they always, they almost always play on the scriptures and saying, look, yes, sure, the Bible's true, right? But you just don't understand it. You can't understand it without us. So there's a dependence that's created on the leader of the movement, on the, you know, in this case, the Watchtower Society. Um, You're depending on them for truth. Um, It's an insult to to people in general, because it's implying that we can't understand the scriptures on our own. Um, it's an insult to the Holy Spirit, right? Um, it is, which we'll get into that in a, in a little bit and what they believe in the Holy Spirit. But it's it's saying you you need us um, to interpret this, whereas even myself as a pastor, I'm constantly trying to drive home to my people. Yes, I want you to come to hear the the scripture preached, but I want you to weigh this for yourself. I want you to go back and take the scriptures and weigh everything I say. Don't just take my word for it. Exactly. Take God's word for it. Amen. Um, And that's a huge, huge distinction to be made um, from Christianity and the cults. No, that's a fantastic word. So good old Charles started to gain some speed here, okay? He started to gain a pretty solid following. And as he grew... His, his, his convictions and his theologies really grew, but they were all adopted from the Millerites, right? Mm-hmm. And, they, and, and they, were, they started to become his own concoction of beliefs, and we'll talk about more of what they are later, but don't forget, it was heavily focused on the rejection of the deity of Christ, on uh, the second coming of Christ, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about that once again. Christ is not who you think he is <laughs> to right. the Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> Uh, the rejection of the Trinity and works-based salvation. So as this was growing, he began to write a journal in the newspaper called Zion's Watchtower. And within this, he gave a lot of prophecies, uh, a lot of predictions of when the end of the world was going to be. And it was really interesting because he would actually use legitimate, I mean, they were completely quacky, um, but he used legitimate math equations mm-hmm. derived from the book of Daniel, yep. and he used dreams and dates within Daniel, within math equations, and then it popped out some sort of date yep. in a year. So that's how he was actually making his predictions and prophecies. Um, by the way, Kenny, what does the Old Testament say about prophets who... Their prophecies don't come true. Yeah, I mean, that's this thing that I just can't wrap your. Brain I can't around. ever wrap my brain around how you're going to continue to follow the teachings of someone who is a false prophet, who you know the Old Testament first of all says uh, they should be stoned um, <laughs> when when they have false prophecies. But legit. But it, the the test is if somebody comes and says they have a word from the Lord um, and it doesn't come true one time. They're a false prophet. One time. Just once. You don't, you don't get to like, you know, I've, I've heard some modern day prophets claim, well, the fact that there are false prophecies proves the fact that there are true prophecies, which is, it's not even logical, but that's like their argument. They're like, we get it wrong sometimes, but it's okay. There's grace. Uh, the Bible doesn't give grace for false prophets. The Bible says if you claim to be speaking from God to be prophesying and you get it wrong one time, you're a false prophet. Um, and in the old te- in the Old Testament law, um, you were you were to be stoned, put put to death. 
So with that being said, 1874, coming of Christ prophecy, didn't happen. 1878, resurrection, didn't happen. 1881, end of favor to the Gentiles. I'm saved, yo, I'm a Gentile, didn't happen. 1914 was the big one. 1914, he said, that's it, guys. I know I was wrong about everything else. Sorry about that. Yo, Armageddon's coming. 1914, it's legit. No, not only did it not happen, but uh, he died two years later. So Charles Russell uh, was gaining a lot of speed. He was uh, gaining a, a nice big following. He had all these prophecies, and he was in, in, and he was making them known within the Watchtower Journal, right? And then in 1914, his final massive uh, um, prophecy was that Christ, Armageddon, all this stuff is going to come back now. Well, it didn't happen. So what he did, he died two years later in 1916. But within those two years, he wanted to make a very strong argument because mm-hmm. he's like, yo— Basically, his name was being tarnished way too much, and he's just like, I, I got to say something. So he said, 1914, Christ did come back. Okay? It absolutely did happen, but it was invisible. Uh, ah, ah. That's great. Talk foolproof. Yeah. Absolutely. This dude's a mad scientist. Like, yeah, it happened. He just didn't see it. Yeah. You know? Like, it's insane. But basically, he said Christ did come back. It was in an invisible manner, and that a holy war, an invisible war between Jesus and Satan took place hmm. above your head. You just didn't know it. Oh, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt, but but I want to say something here, too. This, this is a really important thing that happens with any twisting of the scriptures. It is, and this is to be fair to somebody like Charles Russell, who to us, this sounds crazy, but to Charles Russell, the this is how he interprets the scriptures. He takes his experiences and then he goes, how do the scriptures line up with my experience? Like, you know, I, yes. Christ was supposed to come back. Yes. It doesn't look like he came back. So I must've read it wrong. And so because my experience says that he came back, then I need to make the scripture fit into my experience here. I need to make the scripture fit into my theological framework instead of the scripture informing my theological framework. I'm going to build my theology, and then I'm going to make the scripture fit it. 100%. Right? So while to us it seems crazy, again, to be fair um, to somebody like Charles Russell and Jehovah's Witnesses, this is normal. This is, this is how you are to do theology. Look around you, build your theology, and then make the Bible fit into it, and that's what's most logical. You're right. No, 100% correct. And I would add on top of that, um, a, just a little bit of pure sin mm-hmm. of, hey, I have a big group of people who are following me. Yeah. And I made these prophecies that have failed, and now they're not following me anymore, and my pride is starting to get hurt. And if this one doesn't flesh out and work, Mm -hmm. what are they going to say about me? I got to make it work. Sometimes pure, nothing but a bold-faced lie. Um, Is this, was was, was that the Charles Russell experience? I I don't know for sure. I'm not going to say anything of what I know, but... Homeboy was lying. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean, that's pretty plain. Yeah. But <clears throat> all that to say, Russell died in 1916 and was succeeded by a guy named Joseph Rutherford. Uh, good old Rutherford is important because he, he really did some important things within the Jehovah's Witness faith. He coined a phrase that became very uh, famous within their circles that millions now living will never die. 
Why do you say that? Because he said that he was completely bought in to the 1914 invisible uh, second coming of Christ. Right. So he said that um, millions of people within this generation that are living right now that have experienced the second coming, the invisible second coming of Christ that happened in 1914, will never die, won't pass away, you know, until all of it commences, until the conclusion of history happens. Mm. So the generation of people who were alive in 1914 who witnessed the prophecy of Russell would not pass away before the end of the world came. And what that meant was that the anointed class, here it is, of the 144,000 people would be saved. Yeah. So this is a very important core doctrine, and one of the first ones on our stop of Jehovah's Witnesses. They believe that there is a uh, three-tier system, uh, mainly two tiers, because the third tier is just unbelief, Right. Okay. and unbelievers, but it's a three-tier system to salvation. You have number one, the anointed class, which means that basically if you're an Orthodox Christian here of good, solid belief, you believe that when you repented of your sins and placed your faith into Jesus Christ, then you were uh, justified, you were you were deemed righteous by God, you were washed and cleaned by the blood of Jesus Christ alone, you were saved by grace, through faith alone, no works of your own, and then once you're saved, the Holy Spirit enters inside of you, and you're saved. There's nothing that you have to do. You are eternally secure. You're going to go to heaven based off of the works of Jesus Christ. You're being sanctified currently, and someday you'll be glorified. Mm. Like That's what we think. That's what we believe. That's what we know for a fact from the Scriptures. Mm. That's what they think is true for 144,000 people mm. and 144,000 people alone. Yeah, And that is called the anointed class where do they get the number 144,000 Kenny it's in the book of revelation um and (laughs) you know this is (laughs) it's another example of a twisting of the scriptures of taking a verse and building an entire theology around that verse and ignoring the (laughs) the rest of the scriptures the bible um so i mean honestly it's hard to it's hard to even entertain a conversation around this for too long, um, because the scripture is so clear that that all who by grace through faith um, trust in Christ alone for salvation will be saved. There's not an exclusive number of people, um, and so uh, yeah. I mean, my question is, and this is something I actually don't know. I don't know if you've found this in your research. Um, do they believe that that number has already been filled? <laughs> yeah, so that's up for debate. Okay, yeah, of, course it, of course it is. <laughs> yeah, because think about it. Because um, if I'm not a part of the 144,000, I got to make sure somehow I am. Yeah. So okay. So <laughs> listen to this. You're, you'll love this. So how is it that they determine the 144,000? Right. That's something that I was like, well, how yeah. do you even know? Yeah. So once a year they have a. It's called a memorial annual feast. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's it's it's. it's the biggest Jehovah's Witness event that happens every single year. Every single kingdom hall is full, and you don't only have to be a Jehovah's Witnesses to attend. It's also a big uh, evangelistic opportunity for them, so they're inviting whoever will actually be willing to come. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the service, they um, partake of the elements, okay? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, I do. I have heard of this part, but yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> so this is just awesome. Okay, yeah. so they partake of the elements. Now in the scriptures, um, partaking of the elements is called communion, and we do it whenever churches really do it. We do it regularly, just remembering the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, celebration of the gospel. Uh, it's something that we all do. It's a sacrament within the Christian religion. We're commanded to do it. Um, so. But the Jehovah's Witnesses, what they believe is that if you partake of the elements, then you are one with Christ and you are a part of the anointed class. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty incredible within Jehovah's Witnesses circles when the elements go around once a year, you, literally only a handful of people will actually partake. The rest of the people yeah. won't do it. Yeah. They'll let it pass by them. Yeah. Because if you partake of it, then you're making a proclamation that you are in the anointed class. You are one right. of the select few part of the 144,000. Yeah. And this is my yeah. favorite part. Like, how many people really take it? Yeah. I've, I've actually heard that in just about everywhere you go, nobody will take it. So, so uh, that, no, that, that, that's true. But here's the kicker, okay? This is what I love. People who do take it, okay, there are elders— within the Jehovah's Witnesses local Kingdom Hall congregations who are watching, mm-hmm. and they get to practice the discernment to determine if they're going to jot your name down as a legit statistic or not. Yeah. So if they look at you and, and, and they see that you are Jehovah's Witness, has been a part of the church for like two years, you're this young 25-year-old kid who just did a couple of missionary journeys and you partook, Yeah. that ain't legit. Yeah. You haven't been here long enough. You haven't paid your dues long yeah. enough. Now, if you've been here for 40 years yeah. and you're a man extremely high up and you've been giving to the church for years and you partake, yeah, that seems legit. Yeah. So it's completely based off of their own discretion on who gets counted as a statistic to be within the 144,000. Right. So... They so 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 that really is what constitutes the anointed class, the one hundred and forty four thousand people of who's going to be saved. And remember, this generation started in nineteen fourteen. Mm-hmm. So this is something that I thought was awesome. A guy named so they they were trying to determine um, when are we going to what group of people are we going to start considering for this right? Mm-hmm. Well, they said that uh, the last memorial feast that we had was in 1913, before the 1914 second coming of Christ. So they picked one of the anointed, quote-unquote, anointed guys who got saved during 1913 and said that, I pick you. And his name was Fred, <laughs> okay? Legit. They picked Fred. And they said, okay, Fred, the entire anointed class is going to be saved, and Christ is not going to come back until you die. Mm. You won't pass away until Christ comes back. So Fred France was the dude that they chose and was more or less their marker of when Christ is going to come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> Shocking. Um, so I, we'll keep tracking through this history here and continue to have conversations with it um i'm kind of saying this on the fly kenny this may turn into a two-parter um two maybe a little bit shorter parts yeah we'll see um but nonetheless it'll be a a two-parter here um so now keep in mind russell's dead 
Rutherford is the is the new president of the Jehovah's Witnesses, and he has made the prophecy that Christ is not going to come back until the conclusion of this whole thing, until that generation passes away. So when the end of the world did not come, Rutherford said that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is going to come back to earth in 1925. This was a really, really important prophecy. So Rutherford decided to build a mansion and to live in it while he waited for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to come back in 1925. Well, he lived in it, and he lived a lavish lifestyle within the mansion. And if anybody knows their history a little bit, you're like, well, the 20s, what was going on then? What was going on in the 30s? What was going on during that time? It's called the Great Depression. The Great Depression hit at that time, and he was living off of the tithes of all of his congregates, and uh, all of the his poor followers were providing for him literally during the Great Depression while he lived in a mansion. And uh, guess who didn't come back in 1925? This our, our three homeboys. So the Rutherford's prophecy failed, and he died in his mansion in 1944. Um, Rutherford's in very significant claim was that, or his important move that he made, was he separated from the Bible group. So remember, the Bible group was started by yeah. Russell. Yeah. So he separated from it because he had different theological beliefs, and he changed their name officially to Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. Why are they called Jehovah's Witnesses? Why, why, why do they believe that Jehovah is the only correct name of God within the Bible? I actually don't know the answer to that question. So, so it's really funny that they, they're not wrong in saying that Jehovah is the official name of God uh, within the text. Because when you look back in your Old Testament text, mm-hmm. you'll see a couple different uh, words for Lord. Mm-hmm. One in all caps and one with a capital L, little O-R-D. Right. And anybody reading their Old Testament will know the difference between they'll be able to see that right and maybe you guys have read your old testament and said oh big l-o-r-d all caps big l little o-r-d why is there a difference mm-hmm. that i do know yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 do it yeah so that's actually that's the answer right so you've got uh the name of god being Yahweh, which is the capital L-O-R-D, um, and translated uh, into English essentially is Jehovah. Um, and so we, they, they would say that uh, because God identifies himself as Yahweh, that that is the only name uh, for him. Um, so that's, that, I guess, would be where they get the name Jehovah's Witness from. And they do, so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so they, they get their name from that, and very few Jehovah's Witnesses actually know that we understand. Like normal right. people right. actually believe that, you know, you okay, yeah, that, right. that was his original most holy name. Right. But yeah. that doesn't mean that we can't just call him God. Right. Yeah. So the, the, their claim is that that's the only way to actually um, talk about him. Yeah. So Rutherford is now dead, 1944. Nathan Knorr became the next leader. He focused his attention within... Home, within the home base of Brooklyn, New York. That's really important because that's where it's located out today. Mm-hmm. The, the main hub of Jehovah's Witnesses is located in Brooklyn. If you want to become anything within the Jehovah's Witnesses circles, you need to be a longstanding member, give a lot of money, and live in Brooklyn. Yeah, That's how you get extremely high up. So Nathan Knorr really focused his attention in Brooklyn and he wanted his and he wanted the adherence to the faith now to focus on door-to-door evangelism and taking classes to defend their faith. 
Does that sound like modern day Jehovah's Witness? So, just a little. So if you really want to blame somebody, it was the third president and the third real leader of the Jehovah's Witnesses that focused on door-to-door evangelism. Mm-hmm. We need to grow this. So why? Let's talk about the second group of people. Right. Talk to me about this. We have the anointed class, the yeah. 144,000. But if you want to grow a faith and if you want to grow a movement, yeah. it's pretty hard to cap it at 144. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So who's, the second group is called the great crowd. Keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah. What's up with the great crowd? Well, I would assume that they, they actually pulled that from, I was just looking at the passage in Revelation where it, the Bible talks about the 144,000. And then after that, John says, I looked and behold, there was a great cloud. There was this great group of people. I like it. Um, and so technically, um, although I would say they're twisting it, technically they're pulling this from the scriptures. They've created two tiers of salvation, but they're saying, look, you've got the 144, and then you have all of these other people who are not, they're not, they're not part of that, that elite group of 144,000, uh, but they can experience some sort of salvation um, because, yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, in my mind, it, Jehovah's Witness has been around long enough at this point that the 144,000 should be filled. Right. Oh, yeah. So, what about everybody else? Yep. Um, and you've got to have a theology for that if you don't believe uh, the way that we do that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and that's it. You got those who are saved, and those who are not. Yeah. No, hundred percent. And so, basically, they believe that the second group of people called the Great Crowd they're <clears throat> they're the normal people that you see going door to door. They're the they're they're the Joe Schmuckatellis. They're they're the nobodies. Yeah. They're they're the people who are trying to climb up the ladder. Mm-hmm. The, their ultimate goal in life is to be a part of the hundred and forty four thousand, but there's no guarantee. Right. And they look up to the hundred and forty four thousand. They they literally there there's a sense of worship there that goes towards the hundred and forty four thousand because they are the ones who are in direct connection with God. Right. So. What they do is they focus all of their attention on working their way to get to that status. Yeah. And that's why you see such an emphasis on evangelism. Yeah. They're trying to work to yeah. get it. Um, they believe that, and, 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 this do, and this deals with the core doctrine of salvation. Mm-hmm. All of this is under the umbrella of salvation. Yeah. They believe that um, if you're a part of the great crowd, when you die, that you live forever or even that word as a caveat, that you live forever on earth in a quote-unquote paradise, okay? And that is until Christ comes back and he uh, reigns literally on earth for 1,000 years in what's called the millennium. Yep. And they believe that after the 1,000-year millennium, that if you're a part of the great crowd, then you are going to be judged along with everybody else who's living on the earth, all the unbelievers, once again, Mm-hmm. So just because you make it inside the great crowd, just because you make it to Christ's return doesn't mean anything. Right. You're going to be judged a second time. And after you're judged, if you fail the test, you, along with every other unbeliever, you will be annihilated. And this mm-hmm. is something we were talking about. What, yeah. what What's their belief in the doctrine of hell? Yeah, I mean, they there there's no... I mean, ultimately, even they might even say there's a place called hell, but ultimately, they can't really believe that because it's it's they have they are annihilationists. So right. uh, hell is a place where you go essentially to be annihilated for all eternity. There's no eternal uh, suffering or torment of hell. Um, so let me read directly from their theology. 
Hell, meaning a place of fiery torment where sinners remain after death until the resurrection, does not exist. Mm. Uh, This is a doctrine of organized religion, not the Bible. Hell is the common grave of mankind, literally Sheol, a place of rest and hope where the departed sleep until the resurrection by Jehovah God. So um, hell essentially is a is the grave. It's it's right. where you, it, that's the place where you're buried. It's it is just the grave. There's no deeper meaning there. You're buried until Jesus returns. Everybody's resurrected at the judgment, and then those who go to true hell are just annihilated. And that's what happens to Satan and all of you know all of the unbelievers as well. Yeah. No. No. That's good stuff. So. So Nathan Knorr was really focusing, remember he is now the third president of the Jehovah's Witnesses, and he focused on evangelism. And then in 1950, something really, really important happened. The Watchtower Society, remember that all that name derives back from the journal that Charles Russell used to write within the newspaper. The Watchtower Society decided to publish their own translation of the Bible. This is the kicker, the New World Translation. Uh, Fun facts, they refused to release the author's names, and the translation included additions and subtractions to the Bible that supported their beliefs. Right. So, uh, if you want to control, if you want to control a religion, if you want to control a group of people, control the book. Yeah. Right? So... Honest to God, if you're talking about straight from a pragmatic viewpoint, from a political viewpoint, just from a strategic viewpoint, good move on their part. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They believe, every, you know, Christians are walking around believing without a shadow of a doubt that the Bible is the inerrant, perfect word of God. Another core doctrine, yeah. inerrancy of the scriptures. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's change it. Yeah. Let's write our own yeah. and let's say, oh, you believe the Bible? We'll open up this version. Yeah. What are that's, your thoughts on this? I mean, that's what the, that is what's going to happen almost every time you engage with a Jehovah's Witness. If they find out you're a Christian, they're going to take you to parts of the Bible where they've changed it, and they're going to say to you, "Hey, uh, I know that you your Bible says this." Or actually, a lot in a lot of cases, what I've heard they do is they take their version of the Bible and they, they give you a passage mm-hmm. and they say, "Read that out loud." And yeah. then a lot of Christians don't even recognize that it's been changed. Mm-hmm. And then they go, see, you just read the Bible, and here's this verse showing you that Jesus isn't actually divine, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's not, he's not, he's not actually, they deny the deity of Christ. So um, that's what they'll often do. Um, matter of fact, it's so interesting. Uh, this is kind of a side story that relates to what we're talking about. Um, in Walter Martin's book, The Kingdom of the Cults, there is a fascinating interaction that happens with Charles Russell, who's the founder <laughs> of, of this whole thing. Uh, he was on trial and um, the prosecutor asked him, I'm going to read this transcript from the trial. Uh, the prosecutor said, do you know the Greek alphabet? And Charles Russell goes, oh, yes, I know the Greek alphabet. He said, well, can you tell me the correct letters if you see them? He's, Charles Russell goes, some of them. I might make a mistake in some of them. <laughs> I love that. Cat. I love this. I like, sure, I know the Greek alphabet. I may make some mistakes. <laughs> Nobody's um, perfect. <laughs> Pobody's nerfect. Um, <laughs> so the prosecutor goes, would you tell me the names of those, these letters on the top of this page that I have here? He goes, well, I don't know that I'd be able to. He's like, well, don't, I thought you knew the Greek alphabet. And then he asked, the prosecutor asked him again, are you familiar with the Greek, the Greek language? And Charles Russell goes, no. <laughs> so uh, we've got on record from the mouth of Charles Russell himself, he's saying, I don't know it. So all of this twisting that they've done to the scriptures requires that you know Greek. If you're going to claim 
all these translators have had it wrong, and we've got it right. You've got to know Greek. Now, I'm not, that, that argument kind of falls apart because Charles Russell wasn't necessarily a part of this translation. However, their founder, the founder of their religion, did not even know Greek and yet claimed to go, hey, everything that we've believed is wrong. Let me show you the right way. And he didn't even know the original language of the scriptures that he claimed to now know the correct interpretation of. It's a painful iron. Yeah. I mean, it really is. Yeah. So this uh, translation, the New World Translation, drives everything to them. Yeah. Uh, nowadays it does. Yeah. Because it's a complete twisting of the scriptures. So... Um, well, they finally, in, in their minds, they finally have ground to stand on. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Now that we've got the accurate, quote-unquote, accurate translation of the Bible, yeah. now we've got a leg to stand on. Before... Scooby-Doo authored it. <clears throat> before, they, before they were relying on basically claiming, you know, well, that's a wrong interpretation. We know the right interpretation. Now they have something written down that's more yeah. concrete. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. It is brilliant in the fact that... There's no more. There's no longer this vague like, "Hey, you just don't understand it." Now they're able to say, yeah. "No, here is the right translation. We've got it written down for you." Yeah, and and this is what's going on. They're creating a business. Yeah, and when you create a business, you need you need plans, you need yeah. projections, you need a you need a business plan in order to actually expand your sphere of influence. Yeah, right. So this is has it worked? Yeah, it's worked. This yeah. this has been their plan. They have a, and and it's developed over time. It's not premeditated. They're kind of making the, making it up as they go along, but they have found a pattern that works for them. And this mm-hmm. is something that's interesting. In the sixties, nineteen sixties, we're we're now an entire different century. A guy named Fred France. He's important because he became later another president. Mm-hmm. Okay, Fred France. At the time, he was just an influential member. Him and other leaders began calculating. Guess what? Another prophecy about the end of the world. Mm-hmm. So. Why I'm bringing this up is it's this was another part of their business plan. Mm-hmm. How is it that we can expand and grow? Right? Well, the best way to do it is with prophecies and specifically with fear. Yeah. Hey, guess what? Jesus is coming back. All y'all better get ready. Yeah. So in the 1960s, yet another one came and they decided that in 1975, this was going to be it. The end of the world was going to happen. So in 1974, a lot of Jehovah's Witness just congregates, sold all of their belongings, and gave all the proceeds to the church. Mm-hmm. They were celebrated for it, but they gave all their money away. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the kicker. The prophecy for this 1975 one grew the Jehovah's Witnesses church significantly. Mm-hmm. In 1941, there were about 100, approximately 100,000 members. Okay? 1975, over 5 million. Wow. This is how you grow a business. Yeah. So not only did they release their own Bible, which helped solidify, but they also decided we need another massive prophecy mm-hmm. that's going to scare a lot of people into coming and believing. Yeah. And that's what happened. France, uh, after the success mm-hmm. of the prophecy, uh, became the next uh, president. Okay. But then something happened crazy in 1980. Members began to drop. Mm. Why? The end of the world hadn't happened I mean, in 1975. Goodness gracious. So obvious. <clears throat> yeah, like, yo, if you have another failed prophecy, what the heck do you think is going to happen? So they decided that they needed to implement yet another um, important aspect of the Jehovah's Witnesses' faith called disfellowship. Okay? This is important because members who left the Jehovah's Witnesses' sect were completely rejected. They, like, 
<clears throat> people who left the faith, they had to do something here. Mm-hmm. They had to, they, like, like, you can't just walk away, mm-hmm. right? Something bad has to happen to you. Mm-hmm. You can't just be a reprimand, right? So they created something called disfellowship, which means you, you are completely rejected and disconnected from the church. You have no ties. I'm talking about listening to legitimate real-life stories of uh, people who have been disfellowshipped, mm-hmm. who, when they are around other Jehovah's Witnesses, those people who are in good standing with Jehovah's Witnesses Church will cover their eyes, mm-hmm. turn around, and walk away. If they know that you're disfellowshipped, they literally will not listen to you. They won't talk to you. They won't look at you. Mm-hmm. And that includes your family. Yeah. Your mother, your father, they'll walk completely away from you. Yeah. It's a complete uh, severance. It's a complete disconnection from the church. Yeah. And that can be painful, yo. Yeah. Like, I know it's a cult, but still, like, that, 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 that can be absolutely painful. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, and that's, you know, that's a huge difference from within Christianity, too. I, I want to, right? you know, again, this is a twisting of the scriptures. You know, there is church discipline that happens where a member of a church, a, a professed believer in Jesus is walking in unrepentant sin. We, you know, Paul describes it as we hand them over to Satan when all we're doing is we're saying, we can't in good faith claim that you're a Christian or, or publicly declare that you're a true believer if you're living this way. And you're calling them to repentance. You're not saying, we don't want anything to do with you. We're going to cover our, our eyes. We're saying, we want you to repent. Mm. We want you to be restored to fellowship. Yep. But we can't have fellowship with darkness. Mm. And so as long as you're walking in darkness, there's, there's no fellowship here. Right. We don't want to pretend that there's fellowship when there's not. And so the whole goal, the goal in the Christian faith is repentance. Amen. But the goal in Jehovah's Witness is severance. The goal is, oh, you deny this, then you're done. And there's no opportunity really, at least I don't, I don't. I don't know that they would teach an opportunity to really come back at that point. It so there is a there is an opportunity to come back, but it's mm-hmm. an it, it requires an insane laundry list of works yeah. that you have to accomplish yeah. first um, <clears throat> to get back into good standing with the church. I mean, it's it, it's a circus act that you actually have to do. So if they cover their eyes and walk away. How do you actually? even strike up that conversation talk louder like, you know, like just yell at him like <laughs> so, hey wait a minute no, i told you i'm no, sorry yeah, i want to come back like i, I would back. start screaming so <laughs> now we're to today the, and so the conclusion of this whole history segment which went longer than we thought uh don adams was the most current president that i could find um which is really interesting he's not the president anymore and there's not a modern current president there's more of a board of directors right. there's a, a watchtower essentially essentially it's just yeah now there's like a group of there's like a handful of um very high influential quote-unquote elders who are a part of the watchtower society in brooklyn mm-hmm. who run the entire ordeal yeah. and their their big focus right now is on uh local congregations kingdom halls mm-hmm. teaching their congregates, mm-hmm. why they believe what they believe, they uh, teaching them how to defend their particular points of the faith, mm-hmm. and then to go out and to evangelize. Right. So that is right now their core focus. They're still trying to grow. Uh, I, I have not been able to find any modern prophecies about mm-hmm. you know about the next end of the world or what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, they're they're Adventists. They're Second Adventists with their own. I mean, they created their own beliefs at this point. Right. But 
that's that in a nutshell um this is who the jehovah's witnesses are yeah um we're, we're when i think that um we're going to end up concluding this episode with just a with just talking about the history, uh, we're going to conclude this one, and then we're going to move on to, and we're going to have a part two, really diving into the beliefs of the Jehovah's Witnesses, their core doctrines. How do we evangelize to them? What's going on here with the deity, the deity of Christ? And we'll be able to dive into a much more in-depth conversation about that. Um, what are your thoughts, Kenny? You know, um, here's what I. Here's what I just keep going back to in my mind. Um, anytime, this is a principle. So whether it's Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism, any of the cults, any of the false religions of the world, it always, it almost always, I, I don't want to be too, uh, put it too much in a box, but it almost always goes back to one person's interpretation of scripture or truth Um and we just we don't we don't have that in uh, in scripture. What we have are those who have who are testifying to the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. We have all of these witnesses to the gospel, the word of Christ, uh, the word of God made manifest in Jesus Christ, and coming to earth, living a sinless life, dying on the cross, raising to life, and all of these witnesses to Him, and then his apostles being sent out to then uh, to teach and to, to, to testify to the grace of God. So you don't have this one person who just goes, hey, I know all of you believe all this stuff. It's all wrong. Let me show you what's right. right. Um, and in all of these, you have, it's a manipulation aspect of, you know, well, we got this wrong, so let me change it and make it right. Um, and, and what my mind keeps going back to in all of this is, this is why you have to be a student of the word. Amen. Um, if you're a believer listening to this, this is why we harp on knowing the scriptures and knowing the Bible, because you will be led astray otherwise, mm. um, because all of the people, and, and I've heard stories of people who were professing Christians who've gone into Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness because you know they had some dissatisfaction with the Christian faith, and then these cults come along, and they, they go, oh, you... you you were a Christian and you're dissatisfied, but that's just because you don't have what's right. And then they, they just try to fill in those holes for you. And if you're not a student of the word, you'll miss it um, because they've completely twisted the scriptures. And my question is, you know, a lot of the criticism of the Bible is, well, that was, it was written by men. And Mm -hmm. so it can't, it can't be right. Um, Whereas, (laughs) so we believe that yes, there are human authors of the Bible, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we can get into that conversation later. Whereas Jehovah's Witness, it's just, it's obvious. Like, they've taken what we have in the scriptures, and literally they've just rewritten it themselves. And right. you, you don't even know who those people are, right. um, or how they got to those conclusions, or if they even know Greek and, and know how to translate these things, right? Like, right. So it's so, it's such a manipulation tactic, um, and... Within Christianity, what I love about it is uh, the priesthood of the individual believer um, and the ability to, I'm a pastor, yes, and so I'm called to preach and teach the scriptures, but I believe that every single person in my congregation, um, in a sense, in a real sense, is holding me accountable to the scriptures, right? right? I don't care what I say. If I say something that does not line up with the scriptures, I should be 
called out for that yeah. by anybody in my congregation, whoever you are. So, um, man, I know that was a lot of thoughts, but I no, just, I, love it. I guess what I, what I keep going back to is know the word. Um, don't allow anybody, pastor, uh, you know, leader of a religion, I don't care who they are, don't allow anybody to to tell you what to believe about the scriptures. Right. Let the scriptures speak for themselves because it is the word of God. Amen. So we're going to conclude uh, this episode with that truth. And uh, please tune into our next one to dive more into really the doctrinal beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, how to deal with those problems, and how to evangelize because you always want to be ready to give an account for what you believe, for mm-hmm. what the scriptures say, and you want to be ready in every season and occasion to share the gospel. Yep. So, I just want to point out the fact that um, our two-part episode is the one that you are driving the content. <laughs> so um, people say that I'm a long-winded preacher, and I am. I'll, listen, I get it, but um, I just want to point out that mine, my episode that was Mormonism, and I was more driving the content. It was one part. You're driving the content here. It's two parts. I know, and mine's better. Yeah, so y'all blame so, Travis. <laughs> Listen, you're upset. my desire longer. was that every one of these cult episodes were two parts so that we could go one entire part for history, Listen, one you, entire part for If you for had that. your way, we'd have like six parts to every episode, and they'd all be three hours long. <laughs> It'd be amazing. <laughs> it would all be amazing. Yeah, it's like nobody has anything else to do with their lives but listen to the Calvary Catechism. And yeah, <laughs> hey, don't come on. We're the we're the CCs. Yes, we are. We are. Uh, so thanks for listening. Um, I am. I'm excited about continuing this series. Uh, if you've got suggestions for things that we should talk about, if you've got challenges to the things that we have presented, are um, you a Jehovah's Witness? Yeah, Travis keeps telling me that we just need to show up at some of these places. I want to go to like, a kingdom hall, yo. Just drag them in here and make them <laughs> talk to us. He's uh, so cool. Yeah. So, um, Elder Timothy, come here. So we're we're gonna we're gonna hopefully have some uh, some more consistency to our episodes. We're hoping that this will be weekly again at some point. Uh, if you got ideas or suggestions of other cults or religions that you want us to talk about, please present those. We don't have a definite plan of how long this season will be. We just want to engage with as many as is mm-hmm. possible. Love it and works within our life schedule. Because we have other things that we do besides the Calvary Catechism. Yeah, like full-time jobs. Yeah. Family. Yeah, something, <laughs> something like that. Something like that. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Uh, until next time, this has been the Calvary Catechism. I'm Kenny, and this is... Travi B. Deuces. <laughs>